Welcome. Thank you once again for hanging out with us. This is the IT in the D show episode 399. Jason, you're one off. Uh, we are broadcasting live from our homes. I'm your host, Bob Waltonspiel, hanging out with producer Randy Walker. Guest this week, the CEO of Tenacity, Jason Yeager. We're going to be talking about Origins building up his first data center all the way to uh, getting bought out, start doing a, running a startup now, and uh, all the fun and trials and tribulations that he has to go through. Do us a favor. Find us online, itinthed.com. Do us a favor. Give us a like on the socials and subscribe to us everywhere. Find podcasts are sold and uh, this is the week uh this thursday which would be the what the 18th 17th um uh 17th 17th nancy whiskey's down in corktown on the patio the first it and the d event since when like february 20 i think Some was the last ago. one wow um but yeah come on out hang out no business cards um no uh, speakers, no sponsors, just uh, IT people hanging out with IT people. And, I'm, and I get to introduce my dot card that I'm so excited about. Uh, Jason, did I show you that last time when we uh, – it's a uh, it's it's a credit card with an RFID in it, and basically you can slap the back of your phone and give you all my contact info. Um, oh, so you can bring one of those, just not a regular business card? No more business – I am not bringing business cards anymore. <laughs> and I don't have to – and I don't, yeah, you can QR code. I had to, oh, so here's a funny story with the QR code. Um, I was, uh, I'm on the one of the boards of City of Auburn Hills, and they wanted to put QR codes on these brochures to put in the hotels, to promote a little downtown. And I went nuts saying that they're stupid and they're dumb. And you're, um, you know, don't even think about it. it it's, it's, it, and it's now you old. have this one. Well, no, I, I, I actually, I was on a public board meeting. And uh, like any last remarks, and I said, yes, I'd like something stated for the record, please. I would like to apologize on my earlier comments on QR codes. They do, in fact, have a place in modern society. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, hate the, my I words. COVID kind of helped that, helped bring the QR codes back into. That the, was the, the only reason. Yeah. yeah the, the whole menu thing. Like, I, Why would you do it any other way at this point? It just doesn't make any Why would you go through? having to print menus you can update it real time i i feel like that's here to stay oh my god we just went to a restaurant and they had stickers over the old prices and you could peel them off i was mm-hmm. like because <laughs> it was like a super expensive uh menu like why would you a why would you you know everyone else is a clipboard and a piece of paper but uh anyway totally forgot um if, whatever you're drinking uh, i don't care if it's water or randy's got a fresca mm, mm, danny um <laughs> but a cheers to the one and only uh, dave the geek phillips uh miss your brother wish you were here um cheers it's a baron jaeger i drank way too much of that this weekend um speaking of this weekend i don't know jason are you a soccer guy by any chance Mm-mm. so the europe cup is on there's basically soccer on all day i'm in heaven uh, craziest thing happened if you have, haven't been following or saw ESPN. The guy actually had a heart attack and like died for two minutes on the field. I saw that. I saw the, that. The captain of the Norway that. team. I was watching it live, man. That was when you see in the, and my wife's like, why don't they cut away from it? Because they're just they're just showing them. They're all you know the wife crying on the field, all the fans crying. I'm not gonna lie, man. That was one of the most emotional things I've ever seen on TV. But thank God the dude, the guy's all right. He's they stabilized in the hospital. Because I was like, for sure that you know, I've never seen that before in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, it's I guess it's uh, happened before in so- in soccer just because they run so much. But it's yeah, totally. In basketball. It's happened in basketball a couple of times. I just uh, remember Hank uh, Gathers is like one of the most Hank Gathers like one of the most famous ones dropped dead right on the court. Yeah, what, uh, Len Bias too. I think that was like '86 or something from the Celtics. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, did you uh, did you catch the first episode of Loki by any chance? You know, no, I didn't. You know, the only reason why is because I was saving to watch it with the kids. And so tonight I'm like, oh, you guys, you guys want to watch the first episode of Loki? And three out of the four of them were like, nah, I don't want to watch it. So, so I don't know why. Whatever. Dump them and start over with new kids. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I can't thought, return them at this point. <laughs> I thought it was going to be hot garbage. And I was so pleasantly surprised how good it was. Um, but I do need to, I, I hate time travel movies and tv shows because they're always hot garbage um they probably have a budget for this one though well no no no. just the way they do time travel like i hate 
Marvel time travel. I'm used to, I want back to the future time travel. When you go back in time and change something, it has a ripple effect on the future. See, now I, I, had to, see, I got so angry. I had to read up on how Marvel does time travel. And apparently when you go back in time, it just creates a branch. And then there's a new alternate universe. Mm-hmm. The, the ancient one explained that to us in the movie. I know. I didn't pay attention, though, because I didn't like that movie. Um, Did you watch Tenet, though? Tenet. I was even dumber. You didn't like that time travel? I could not all? stand Tenet. <laughs> I left. I watched it on the plane. So when you watch movies on a plane, you're very dialed in because you have no distractions. You have no phone. You got headphones on. The screen's three inches from your face, right? You really watch a movie when you're on a plane. And that movie, I ended that movie going, I'm... Two hours. I'm dumber for having watched it. I thought it was. I thought it was horrible, horrible movie. You didn't realize we don't actually understand how time travel works, right? These oh, are we all, should. All of these scenarios are, you know, pie in the sky sort of scenarios. Nobody really knows what happens if you t- travel back in time and come back. What the ripple effects are. So, Tenet could be correct. Loki could be correct. And Back to the Future could be correct. We have no idea. Back to the Future is correct, just for the record. Um, <laughs> why? Because it was the first? No, I don't know. It wasn't the funny. first. Marvel's de- Marvel is definitely before that. They took yeah, the concept that's... of Marvel's time travel from the well, comic first, books. First movie, I guess. First movie, yeah, definitely. So that was my problem with the end of uh, Endgame, was if Captain America went back and just stayed that way and, and hung out with his chick, he would have never been Captain America. Like, if he's an old man now... That means he went back. Like Captain America would have never have existed. Like those people wouldn't even have known who he was. I thought he, yeah. I guess I don't there, really remember. I don't really remember it that much. Just like when yeah, he fought I himself. thought he went back afterwards. Yeah, he went back afterwards. So, but if it branches off and it's a new alternate reality, how how did he see himself? I don't he know. Probably avoided himself. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Anyway, Loki. What about was, what was the other one uh, uh, with uh, Bruce Willis? Looper. Oh, what about Looper. Looper? Was weird. I, I liked that. That was entertaining, at least. Yeah, it was entertaining. Yeah. Is that? But you think that that's real time travel? Well, then there's two people though in the same thing. So yeah, you know. Yeah, I, I think that, that if I traveled back in time ten years ago, I could run into my thirty year old self. And and you tell them buy Bitcoin and buy Google and buy, mm. buy Amazon. <laughs> I would do hot tub time machine for sure. Oh it'd yeah, be, it'd be Yugle or something like that. <laughs> Way back in time, <laughs> invent uh, what did he call Twitter in that movie? He invented Twitter, and Google, and all that Everything stuff. Schmoogle, Schmamazon. Yeah, Lugal. was Google. Oh, it was Lugal? Yeah, because his name was Lou. Yeah. Actually, I'm going with Hot Tub Time Machine is the best time travel movie in the first I'm, one. Uh, I'm not going to fight you on that one. I'll uh, I'll, I'll drink to that <laughs> we, one. We we went to this 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 summer. We went up north to this ski resort that I I walked in and I looked at Amber and I said, "Holy, it's it's the Hot Tub Time Machine Hotel," <laughs> and it looked exact. It was like stuck in the '80s that they haven't upgraded this thing. The it, we had like a little kitchenette and they were, I think, I can't remember what color they were, but they were like green from like the eighties or something like whatever the eighties colors were. And I looked at the, the uh, date code on them and they were all 1985. So all the appliances were 1985, the whole thing. So there was nothing to do around there uh, because it was like just after ski seasons and right before golf season. So we ended up watching both hot tub time machines in the hotel. <laughs> Did you dump a monster on the hot tub just to see if it would work? No, I definitely we did not get in the hot tub. It looked that bad. Oh, one of those. <laughs> it was not good. swimming nothing in it. Yeah. Good. Nothing was good about this place, other than we had, we hadn't been anywhere in you know a year, so we just wanted to we we wanted we just wanted to get out of the hot. Just put a few pumps of hand sanitizer in, it and you're good to go. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> wear a mask. You know, it wasn't yeah. it wasn't a monster either. It was something some other craziness. I think it was their made up one or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it was like yeah. Yeah. Did you uh now I am a huge He-Man fan. Did you see the new series trailer? No, I did not. So this is a, a Kevin Smith uh thing and it's very anime-ish. And um the best part is Prince Adam slash He-Man doesn't sound like a 13-year-old boy. 
Um, he actually sounds like a like a grown man, like He Man should. Like I, mm-hmm. I that always it was one of my favorite cartoons of all time. But I always hated how Prince Adam spoke. Um, just a complete candy ass. Um, but like this thing looks completely legit, and they gave the keys to Kevin Smith of Clerks fame. And uh, oh I, yeah, I would watch that. Yeah, I'm not too excited about cartoons per se, but this one forget like when Vulture or not Voltron came back, when Ultraman came back, and then this. Like I'm, uh, I'm completely stoked. But the trailer looks awesome. If you get a chance, check it out on YouTube. I will. Um, and then the last thing for the weekend, did you see the the new hotness in the stadiums? The cup snake, the python, whatever they're calling it. Mm-mm. So basically, they're in the bleachers in Wrigley. I guess it got shut down at Comiskey or whatever they call it now. Um, but in Wrigley, so that everybody takes their empty beer cup and basically attaches it. And this thing's going up maybe. 30-ish rows, 30, 40 rows of empty beer cups. Connected and, as, a, as like a snake? Yeah, yeah, and they're all holding it up. They're all standing and holding it up over, over the shoulders, and it like it twists. Someone did the math. They said this cup snake was 150 feet long, and there are 24 cups per foot. Because at 12 bucks a beer, that cup snake was $43,200 worth of empty beer. Um, but, like, yeah, they're, this thing, they're like, Literally in the bleachers holding this thing. Yeah, we can and, see that. I know you can. <laughs> no. Everyone I, at home could see that. <laughs> see, I taught Randy about the wizard staff um, when I, when White Claws first started, and uh, I was on the no sugar thing, so I, I drank White Claws. The guy would take tape, and then he would tape the full one on top of the empty one. And then by the time I got to like six or seven, this thing's like five feet long, so you have to tip up this monster wizard staff. I guess what? it's a... Is is uh, truly or white claw actually sugar free? It is. Yeah, uh, it's like one gram of carb or whatever. How, how can well? How can it have alcohol in it? Alcohol's not sugar. It's made no? from sugar, but it's fermented away. So yeah, okay. Or just I've away. never heard of a zero calorie alcoholic drink. Oh, it's not zero oh, yeah. calorie. It's oh, zero calorie. oh, not zero calorie. No, okay. alcohol is like seven calories a gram. So it's like yeah, it's a hundred. Yeah. It's a hundred calorie. Oh, like zero grams. sugar. Zero sugar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you still on that? Uh, off and on. Like, you know, five days a week, and then if something looks good, I'm not going to turn away a slice of pizza, you know. No. <laughs> right. And I drink White Claw just because I don't like beer. Mm. Yeah. I love beer. Um, So this was an interesting story, and I dug into it, and it made me kind of happy, and it made me mad. Um, I guess there's a staffing company that's reporting a 90% interview no-show rate. <laughs> Um, but it's from Snelling, and I guess it's temp jobs. But still, they're getting a ninety percent no show rate, which is hmm. which is absolutely nuts. And I know like people are having a hard time finding jobs, but you know, and granted, these are temp jobs because like we just posted a job in Florida. I got ten great resumes, interviewed three people, hired one. It was painless. We hired some two people up here. Same thing. Well, uh, what are you paying? What's that? What are you paying? Good. Yeah, right. Good enough where we're getting 10 quality candidates. Right. You know, so you're paying above what, you know, they could make on unemployment, I guess. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, right. Okay. Like they're they're shutting down like the the fast food restaurants around my house. They can't they they're like shutting down at crazy hours. I went to kids wanted Arby's yesterday. I went to Arby's yesterday at like five thirty. It was closed. 530. Yeah. And and that's not uncommon. I uh, Wendy's closes really early. They're just having uh, trouble finding people uh to work. Go to to your point on this 90% no show. I mean, a lot of people are having trouble finding people that want to work right now. But like I don't get though like if you if you don't have to go to the interview or you got another job or you don't want to, like why take the interview and then no why schedule it? Yeah, right. Make just don't even answer the damn phone. Like this, just, it, unless they have to, unless they have to take the call. Someone I read a comment in the comment section, like they have to take the call to make it look like they're looking. Oh, the box. But, but why wouldn't you have to show up? I, yeah, right. You'd think that that would be part of the process. <laughs> right, like, yeah, like at least show up. But they're I getting, do also think that they should offer enough to make it worth while right i mean that that's the other the other side of this is that these jobs that have 90 percent no show rate i'd love to understand how much 
um, they're planning on paying these people? Like, is it enough for them to live or is it enough for them to need a second job just to make ends meet? And that's, that when, I, that's when I looked into it. I think they're garbage warehouse jobs. It's not like these are professional, you know what I right. mean? Um, but still, regardless, it's like, you know, pretty much everyone's hiring out there. Um, and then the, uh, the huge breach this week was uh, EA. Um, apparently someone took all of EA's source code um, 750 gig of data, um, game source code for pretty much half of their stuff. The Frostbite game engine, FIFA 21, FIFA 22, all the APIs uh, for Sony and uh, Xbox. Um, and they're basically, uh, I don't know if they're ransomware. Ransomware? You don't know the cause? Yeah, or if they're going to sell it. Um, what was the cause? Do you know? No, I don't know if it was... Uh, the data breach, um, it was not a ransomware attack. Limited amount of code-related tools were stolen. Um, EA won't say how they got into the system. Yeah. They don't want to say we have bad security up. or something like that. So just, we don't know, or we're not saying. Offense is always better than defense. Yeah, no, they, um, I'm looking at it right now. They're basically uh, no player data was accessed. Um, there's no risk to player privacy. But you know they got their engine basically taken. So, but again, if you, when you think about it, how much like EA makes five point five billion a year? Like, there's some games that make like, what? yeah, like what? Who does it? Is does this really hurt them that much? Just the source code from a, from an IP standpoint, yeah. You know, I mean, can somebody actually take that and make money off it? Is the question. I don't know. You know how code is. You change two lines and then it's yours. Yeah. You know, um, somebody so, wants. To, I would guess there's maybe you could. Yeah, you could definitely make it in different countries for sure. Yeah, I mean, might, be, might be hard to alone. sell. Might be hard to sell it in the United States legally, but definitely somewhere else. Pirating yeah. game. But there's yeah. so much of those games are part of an online, you know, community. Like you're not. It's not like the old games where you just. Through a you know where you could burn them on a disc and then you had all these games. Now, fifty percent of the games require it to be downloaded from from EA just to make it work or or anywhere else just to make well, full functionality and everything. I'm like a that. huge Warzone player. There's like an update. Like here's the thing with the, like now like everyone everyone's so spoiled. You can't just leave the game alone. You have to have updates, changes, map updates, new guns, like constantly new new player skins like and there's like literally have to download it's like a 10 minute process every not 10 you know four or five minutes just for updates every third time i play well Um, i don't think i don't think it's the players that want that it's your monkey brain that really wants that they just figured out the algorithm to make you want it it's like a drug it's like a cheeseburger or you know name any drug it feeds your amygdala which forces you to want to continue to play it and their goal is to get eyeballs on screen but like i'm sure there there's definitely a market for those older style video games because nintendo releases a bunch of them right every year where there's a beginning multiple levels and an end and there's not there's not a whole bunch of stuff that you can download there's stuff that you can earn along the way but i think there's still a market for those video games it's just Kids, you, you know, they're they've they've figured out how to hard how to rewire our system to want to sit in front of a screen and play play the same game over and over again. But I mean, you grew up same time as me, man. I remember lining up quarters to play Mortal Kombat and X Men, mm-hmm. four player X Men, Teenage Mutant Ninja NBA Jam. NBA I was just Jam, that's the best. That they have a a new place downtown Ann Arbor that just has a bunch of free games and it's ski ball darts. Uh, one of the one of the video games they have is NBA Jam. It's just free. You just walk up to it and play it. And I was so I was playing it this weekend. We we went out for like the first time for somebody's birth fortieth birthday. So who was your, I was who playing was your NBA team? Jam. Who was your team? Uh, I chose the Pistons. Oh, well, partly Grant, because Grant Hill. No, it, uh, I don't think it was Grant Hill. I think it was uh, it was before that. It was Isaiah and Bill Lambeer. Oh, I think who my two players were. So uh, if you haven't heard about this, the guy who created NBA Jam was a Piston fan. So he actually made them better in the game than what they really are. 
uh, like what their even their ratings are. And he made it. There's some weird thing. It's online. He made it so that they would beat the Bulls more often than not, or something like well, that. They did. It was, it's like why well, no, but it's it's like it's like wired into the video game. It, it's coded into the video game that the Pistons will beat you know uh, the Bulls X number of times. I'll send you the link. It's pretty That's hilarious. Interesting. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I was always uh, the Charlotte Hornets grandma and Kendall Gill. That was my uh, oh yeah, that was my duo. Yeah, uh, get, Larry Johnson. Yeah, yeah, you get the dunks and you get the three pointers. Gill shooting three. Yeah, that was my. He was great, man. Oh, I miss. I've been watching some of the NBA basketball because a few of these series are actually pretty good. Um, you know, compared to they're they're like letting them play a little bit more. And it just some of it makes me miss some of the old basketball. Like even if you go back to the Pistons of the early two thousands, I mean that was that was old old school basketball right there. Oh yeah, that wouldn't you? They're scoring one hundred and thirty five points a game now. It's a different game. It is a different game. But somebody posted something the other day that's it, it was just a picture of the starting five of that championship team from oh four, and it said the caption said the only team that could beat the Nets this year. In the playoffs, ooh, that's bold. and I was look, it, I, it's bold, but and I was like, I immediately went, nah, no way. And then I started to think about, it. I was like, wow, they actually match up pretty well defensively against that team. With I mean, Ben Wallace, right? I mean, we won the defensive player of the year four times. He's the only uh, undrafted free undrafted player to ever make the NBA Hall of Fame. Now, he, right, he right, got inducted. So you've got him defensively. Rasheed was great defensively. Rip was great defensively. Billups was great defensively. Like they might actually be able to take that series, uh, you know, pretty deep anyway. Well, and then, I don't, then, then I don't that's going to play defense. It. And then it's played they zero play defense. <laughs> right. They played no defense. So I, I always try to shy away from talking about conspiracy theories on this show. But this well, one, I, so I, fun. this one, I can't not put down and stop reading. My friend sent it to this morning, and I said, you know, I'm not in the mood for this right now, but I'll read it later. I started reading it. I'm down this wormhole, man. And basically, that the is it, the the title is the biggest con since the moon landings. It's that the NASA Mars rovers are filming in Canada, and if you go to, um. Google Earth right now, and you type Devon Island. Yes, in an we island. We couldn't have picked the- a better uh, like area of the world that would be more suitable to Mars's it terrain. Looks, it looks like Mars. So go to Dev. Go to Google Earth. Type in Devon D E V O N Island, and there's actually like a Google Earth picked up a picture of what looks like a Mars rover, and the, the, it's all ro- red rock. And there's no snow, um, and, and now it's it's all yeah Devon Island in Canada. Um, it's basically the whole thing. They never got to Mars. It's all bullshit. That's what the conspiracy theorists are wow. saying. Wow, they call it Mars on Earth. I've never heard of Devon Island. I didn't either until this morning. Um, it's it's way up there. So I mean, why would you? It's Arctic Circle, and it's a small island. But if you look at like. The images. That's why they said once in a while someone will see a Mars shot and they'll see something human-ish, and that's because it's on Earth. Um, but you know, I'm like, why in that? So I'm like arguing with them. I'm like, why the hell would they do this? They go, A, because they can't get to Mars. B, uh, because they get 25 billion dollars in funding every year from the government, and so they figured they'd you know throw this shit out there. And again, I don't even know why people want it. Like when you the government says they're on Mars, I'm like, cool, they're on Mars. Wow, that's a great picture. Like, and I think like now it's like, why do people have to dig into this? This Like, it's so down the hill of what you would, you know, think would be a conspiracy. Like, wh- why? But I, I always ask, what would be the motivation for this? I don't know. I, I can somewhat get the motivation for the moon landing, right? At that time, it was the space race. Like, there's actually a reason, although that reason is never stated, but I can think of that reason in my head, why people would think that there was some sort of motivation. But what would be the motivation for 25 us billion, to, $25 billion in funding? I don't know. I mean, that's dude, that's nothing. No, in the, the grand US. scheme. But no. like that's, 
that's nothing for the U.S. government. That is a rounding error. Yeah. Right. I mean, like, well, that's not a lot of funding. Apparently, NASA's had a base on Devon Island since '97, and 100 people work there. Um, and basically, I mean, they're, they're that makes there sense to because if it mimics the terrain of Mars, they're going to want to understand how to build the rover right. to navigate that terrain. And, and that's what they're the- saying. Right. That's what they're saying. They're, they're they're basically practicing. But apparently, Mike just chimed in. He said that a lizard got caught on one of the films that they supposedly said was on Mars and got you know, I'm not a lizard person. They were not going down that <laughs> like like a little salamander. Um, yeah, I want to see. I want to see the source of this footage. <laughs> oh, which one, the lizard? Yeah, let's see the source of the footage for the lizard and make our own. Um, judgments anyway like that that was the credibility flat earth people make like what are you trying to accomplish like i don't and they're so like they're as passionate about that as they are about like you know well uh i read something that if you're uh all you need to do is believe a really small conspiracy theory like something that would be something where you would even say oh that could be true but once you believe that smaller you know less egregious conspiracy theory you're more apt to start believing more more i guess what what you would or what we might call ridiculous ones or outlandish let's call them outlandish because who knows so more outlandish uh, conspiracy theories i think it's the the minute you start believing the first one however insignificant it, it may be then you're more apt to grow and climb up the ladder of the more outlandish conspiracy theories like the earth is flat and they're not really on Mars they're on Devon Island and things like that, which just there's, there's just hardly any motivation for that. And plus, you know, really for it to be a secret, only one person can know. Yeah. The minute a second person knows, it, it can no longer be a secret unless the first person kills the second person. So like you just, there's no way that you could have hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of people involved in something like this without it getting out. It's, it's impossible. Well, they get the, you know, they get the Clinton suicide. If they talk, you know, the two to the back of the head. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, or, <laughs> And I know Randy was looking forward to this new TV show on NBC called The Ultimate Slip and Slide. Um, but apparently they can't film the show anymore because a crew member test positive for, is it, how do you spell it? Or how do you pronounce it, Randy? Giardia? Yeah, Giardia. Giardia. And then I'm looking, what is Giardia? And apparently it's a diarrhea disease caused by the parasite, which can be spread by uh, eating food with poop on it. So apparently this whole... The show, this TV show, literally got shut down because there was uh, there was some feces in the food. And then Randy, I don't know why he posted it, but I figured because he, he thinks he, I know why because he knows poop jokes make me laugh. Um, but I actually might watch Ultimate Slip and Slide now um, and see when they because uh, apparently um, they haven't completed production yet. So uh, yeah, they'll bring it back once. Uh- yeah, speaking of, of Jason, Jason, he just heard about that and he had to run to the bathroom. So yeah, <laughs> no, actually, actually, I, so I was like, I, I, my laptop is run, is running low on battery. So I'm like, I'm t- I texted Amber. I said, like, get my laptop charger. She hasn't responded. So I just went and yelled and said, get my laptop charger. <laughs> oh, right on you. Um, so yeah, so let's dive in. So I don't know if you want to go frontwards or backwards. Let's start from the front. So right now, uh, you're the CEO of Tenacity. I am. Um, you you were recently at what for about seven, eight, nine years. You were at Online Tech, which changed to Ottawa or Otava. Otava. I was actually there for ten years. Ten years. Wow. Isn't that crazy? I was there for ten years. Who does that in IT anymore? Nobody. Yeah. Well, you know, I I I consider myself lucky. Um, you know, I started at like the perfect time. Uh, it was right before the crash in 2009 right so i started in 2008 and you know nobody knew what cloud was at that point and uh you know we we had maybe 10 employees uh maybe a couple million in revenue and uh you know the next 
10 years, there was a ton of growth. I, you know, I think we grew it all the way to a hundred employees when I ended up leaving and 40 million in revenue. So, um, you know, I got a chance to run pretty much ev every department in the organization except for finance, but I even did all of our purchasing. So I just got a broad range of experience. I ran operations, uh, ran customer service. That was part of operations, ran IT people. I built data centers. I ran product management. I built our solution architecture team for pre-sales engineering. I was chief company's chief compliance officer slash chief information security officer. And I was the chief revenue officer the last year and a half I was there. So, you know, I got a, a wide range of experience and I got to work with just some incredible people like you, Bob, over the years that I still talk to this to this day. And I uh, got to learn a lot from, uh, you know, who I consider to be my mentor, Jan Ness. So, uh, you know, I was fortunate, I guess, that I didn't feel the need like I, I, I didn't feel the need to uh, go to different jobs, I guess. Well, because then I made did. a lot of money. Yeah, because you did all the jobs there. You know what I mean? Right. Because that's always what uh, we always, you know, people like, you know, when I was at Cisco, they used to always say uh, three years, move up or move out, you know, or, or change what you're doing because you'll get, you'll get, it'll get stale. You'll get, old, you know. And I moved up, you know, more than every three years. So, so and I was always challenged to do something that I had never done before. And I think that that is... I just think that humans adapt well when they're put in positions where they have to succeed or they, they die. And I'm not saying everything was uh, rosy. I failed a lot. I learned from it. Um, and I got better and I ended up succeeding. So, so that's, you know, that one of the intriguing things to me is like, Hey, we have this huge data center. Actually we have multiple data centers and uh, customers need stuff and they don't really know what they need yet. Um, go build it. And then was it a go build it and they will come? Or was it a, um, hey, this customer's asking for this, so let's build that and hopefully other people want it too? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both, uh, to be honest. I think there are, obviously, you try to stay within a, a framework. Um, Nick's got a great way of describing this, that, that, that everything in IT, every, everything in IT is basically built on a foundation of building blocks. And, um, you know, the, so, so you already have, no matter if it's a product you've been selling for years or a service you've been selling for years or something you haven't really done before, uh, or maybe in a specific way, it, it still follows the same framework or, or foundation. So it's just about altering the different things above that foundation, uh, to support it. So I'm, I'm a big fan of, uh, releasing, uh, a very early MVP or beta stage product, um, especially if it aligns with what the organization is doing and how they're helping solve, how they're help, how they're solving problems for their customers. And then taking those early customers that are pushing for it, right? So they're pushing for you to do this for them. Uh, you take their feedback and you improve that product and, and then take it to market uh, for, for other people. Because everyone has the same problem. I mean, organizations aren't unique. They all have the same problems. So, you know, and th there are some organizations that are probably pretty unique, but for the most part, 99% of organizations have the same problem. So if you can solve it for one organization, then you most likely have a market to solve it for another organization. Well, I remember, uh, crap, this is when I was at HP back in like 08. There was always this big deal about IT organizations spend 80% of their time in maintenance mode, 20% on innovation. We want to flip that. And I don't, you know, like not, not to fast forward till today, but they're still complaining about the same thing. And, you know, I don't know if they've tackled it or if they ever will, but it seems like that's still the, the state of business right now. I don't think that's, I think they spend no time on innovation. I think uh, they spend almost no time on, maintenance and what they spend time on is um basically chasing their own tail we, we work with a lot of organizations and a most of them aren't doing the maintenance that they need to do they're not doing anything innovative really and what they're doing is they're playing catch up to the demands of the organization which means that they're 
They're building things fast. They're cutting corners. They're trying to solve the internal IT departments is what I'm talking about here. They're trying yeah, yeah. to solve the, the needs of the business units. And what they're doing is they're ending up building things like what happened to EA. I'm sure that they're in a position like many organizations where they're not they're not patching, right? I mean, how many times have you seen this problem? Nobody's right. patching, right? Uh, so they're not doing the maintenance, right? They're not monitoring effectively. And they're building new applications and re-architecting applications at a pace that's causing them to cut corners when it comes to security and availability. And, and it's not like it's their fault. They don't have enough time and there aren't enough people, enough man hours, to do the job appropriately, but they're they're being forced to move at the speed of light. So what you end up with is things like your source code. Somebody left a public bucket open. I don't know how it was, uh, you know, attacked, but there's plenty of examples of companies leaving, you know, uh, storage buckets in AWS or Azure or GCP open to the public just because they're trying to move at the speed of light and they don't have enough resources uh, to help you know, make sure that they're deploying and delivering solutions in a secure and, and available manner. Sure. Now you were built, you built all that for the outsourcing as, as an outsourced business. I'm in the outsourced business right now. Um, mm -hmm. It's, it's amazing to me the conversations I have where we outsource nothing. And, you know, I, I remember back in the day that no one wanted to move to cloud because they like seeing the green lights, you know, they wanted to walk by the data center and hear the hum and, and that proud, that, pride of ownership type of thing, regardless of, you know, if it was better or not. Um, what's your take on that? Why, why do people go all in outsourcing? Why do people mix and why do people not do it at all? Well, all in is probably rare to find, uh, but I think I'm a big fan of outsourcing things that aren't a core competency. Uh, you know, there's no, there's anything that you would consider a cost center as an organization uh, you're probably not going to spend enough money to make sure you're doing it correctly. So if IT is a cost center, you're probably going to have some insecure stuff. Why they do it, I think I think you have people in positions in a lot of organizations where they fear um, uh, outsourcing as something that may end up replacing their job. Um, and what they fail to recognize is they're not doing their job effectively because they don't have enough time. They're not being given enough time to do it. And outsourcing will actually help them look better in the organization. And so I think there's a mind shift that there's a mindset that has to shift where, you know, employees that have been in organizations for many, many years and are kind of stuck not wanting to do outsourcing or not doing enough of it. I think that they, they're going to have to come to grips with the fact that outsourcing can actually help them and look, make them look better intern, internally in the organization uh, than the, the adverse, which is that they don't do it and they end up with, uh, you know, they end up with something that, that isn't meeting the business's needs. So, you know, I always, I, took, I always take it as they got burned a couple of times by the quote-unquote outsourcing companies that did a poor job themselves. And then they kind of look at it and say, you know, you know, it's it's hard, it's difficult to vet because you're usually buying from the sales guy. And that might you be true. Word, you trust his word is gospel, and you know, the, the you know, st something doesn't deliver proper, and then you get burned a couple of times. Then you know what? Forget it. I'm going to do it myself. Yeah, but you don't. Yeah, that that could be true. But I feel like, um, you know, there there are a lot of things where you just there's there's obviously a need for something in the market if somebody's offering a service. Take mm -hmm. Trinet as an example, right? You have many competitors, right? And I'm sure a lot of them do a very crappy job, right? So, uh, and a lot of them do a very good job, right? And some of them do an ad adequate job. If I have a bad experience with one of them, myself, I'm not going to assume that Trinet is the same as that team. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take the things that I really disliked about that organization what they didn't do right and when i come to you i'm going to start asking you questions very specific questions about my experience and how you de deal with those things so that i can properly vet you out so i'm going to use that experience where i failed with a partner to get better
So fast forwarding to today, um, you decided, you know, not only to get out of your first startup and then to do it all over again. And uh, you found it, you founded a company called uh, you and Nick founded a company called Tenacity. And what screamed, I guess, talk to me about what do you do first? And then let's just go into the why. But basically, we help companies manage their public cloud infrastructure better than they can do without us. And we've talked about a lot of the reasons why. But um, we, provi- we provide a piece of software that helps companies uh, manage security, compliance, assets, and costs in public cloud infrastructure. So AWS, Azure, and Google Cloud. And um, basically, we, companies need to know what they have. It's really difficult to understand everything that you have deployed in public cloud infrastructure. They need to know why they have it. We help them with both of those. They need to know how it's configured from a security and compliance standpoint, as well as a cost standpoint. So we help them uh, from a compliance. We give them continuous compliance reporting on all their infrastructure in the public cloud. We help them remediate any security violations that they may have on the configuration of those resources. We give them a full asset list so they understand everything they have across all their accounts, regions, subscriptions, et cetera. And then we give them deep billing insights so they understand what they're spending on it and where they can save money. We help companies save up to 30%, pretty much everyone that signs up with us, we help them save 30%. And we identify hundreds, if not thousands of security violations immediately, every time we install someone. So how crazy is that, that Amazon and Azure so like had such a problem and lacking in what they do that companies are born to fix it. I, I think it's awesome and I think it's uh, brilliant at the same time. Well, uh, that's actually just a misconception, right? So uh, AWS and Microsoft and GCP, they all publish responsibility matrices, which basically describe what they're responsible from a security perspective and what you're responsible for. And they're, they're basically responsible for providing you a service that is a great service. We use it. There have been almost no way we could have started our company without AWS. Um, and, uh, but what they don't do is help you secure your applications and the way that you configure these things because there's so many different configuration settings that have to do with your that specific to each, into each company's application. So their responsibility stops at physical security. They don't provide you any security outside of that. So if you wanna make a, a, a storage bucket public, everything in that storage bucket open to the public, you can, you can configure it to do that because a lot of companies need to do that. Uh, but you can, that's the, that's the most simple example, um, which you can find, there's at least two breaches a month that are publicly disclosed. There's probably hundreds actually. But there's at least two public public ones that are publicly disclosed from large organizations that somebody just left a storage bucket open to the public and it breached a whole bunch of data. And we help companies find those issues and remediate them. Which that isn't Amazon's fault. Well, I was I, I was more alluding to like the Azure bill because that's been notorious for um, you know being uh, figuring out that bill. You you know you need to hire companies to help you sort it out. Right. Yeah. Um, well, b- billing, for as an example, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. So billing, as an example, is another thing. They bill, their, their billing's really flexible. You can be billed by the hour. You can be billed by the minute in some cases. But what this does is it creates a really large invoice that's very difficult to understand, especially if you're a company uh, that's spending six figures a month in public cloud spend. Your, uh, you know, your billing file from Amazon, we've seen some of our largest customers have a 15 gig billing file each month and it, <laughs> 15 gig, Jeez. like you can't do anything with it. And so, uh, you know, so we help companies, you know, we, we give them immediate access to all the information that's in that 15 gig billing file. We've saved people a ton of time, a ton of money and mitigated uh, a, uh, a large number of security breaches for our customers. 
So did this? I mean, did you guys come up with this because you saw all this, all the what people were dealing with when you when you were at online? And um, I mean, where did this brainchild come from? Yeah, well, this is what what we do. This is what we've been living and breathing for many years. We've been, uh, you know, providing secure infrastructure for healthcare companies, for financial institutions. For service for other managed service providers that are providing those services for their customers, and so you know we saw this problem uh, from a from a managed service provider perspective. We faced it at Online Tech uh, when we were we saw the, the tailwinds for many many years, and we saw the headwinds coming uh, from from the public cloud taking a lot of our customers. So we understood that a lot of the uh, IT spend was going to the public cloud. And then we also saw how difficult it was to manage, to provide this service to our customers and realized, well, this isn't just a problem for, for managed service providers like online tech, it's a problem for customers. They're having a lot of trouble ensuring that everything is secure, everything is optimized and they understand what they have out there. And so, you know, when we, we went to a ton of industry events, talked to a bunch of companies uh, in the space that were, that, that, that use solutions like ours and that are facing these problems. And this is the thesis we came up with and it's been, it's been going really well for us thus far. No, it's great. Um, I just want to get your philosophy on it. I know what mine is. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a hybrid it kind of purist. I, I believe that, you know, not everything should be in, not everything should be uh, in the cloud, not everything should be on premise. Um, but how do you figure out, or what's your take on how do you figure out what should be, you know, in the cloud versus what should be on-prem? You know, everyone to, you know, are, are you defining it by workload? Or are you defining it by by need, by by uh, hardware requirements? What's your uh, philosophy on, on, you know, I guess hybrid IT for that, for that matter? Well, I think my philosophy, I don't think my philosophy is it's cloud, public cloud first, and you, you have to make the case on why it shouldn't be there, which is better than the opposite. Um, so uh, it is cheaper. It is more secure as long as you understand how to configure it or you're using solutions like Tenacity to help you make sure that it's secure and make sure that it's optimized from a cost perspective. And the, the just the amount of services and diff, different um, things that you can do within the public cloud, make it a really compelling tool to use. There are obviously many business cases for not using it, but they're typically more unique cases that are specific to certain applications or specific to certain business units and things like that. And so for, what I would say is from a, from a majority perspective, most of the things that we do on a daily basis from an, you know, in the cloud uh, or you know, in an internal IT to in, on a computing infrastructure can be done in the public cloud cheaper and safer. And there, you know, the, so you do a cloud first strategy and then you make a business case and it's typically by application is what I typically see. See, my take was always if it's under eight hours and it's heavy hitting under those eight hours, and you, you need the elasticity, then go go public cloud. If that thing's a, a hammer all 24 hours a day, then you should keep it on-prem. Am I wrong? No, that's a great use case for keeping, if something that's utilized 100% of the time, um, you know, all day, that's definitely a use case. Those are just few and far between, to be okay. honest. No, that's fair. That's yeah, fair. They're, they're, they, they really are. And, and, and a lot of times when they're that, when they're, they're, they're underperforming, right. Is usually what's, I mean, you know, a lot of times they're just underperforming applications because maybe they don't have enough. Uh, w once you have something that's utilizing that much, that much, that many resources, you probably need elasticity. You just don't know it. Right. Right. Because you're hitting some sort of limit, right? If you're running at 90%, I'm just using an example. 100% of the time, you probably need peaks at 150%, but you can't provide it because it's on a some physical piece of hardware that has limitation. And so, like I said, for me, it's not necessarily utilization based, although 
there are probably very a lot of cases where your example is uh, uh, well suited um, that you know sequel or something like that. But uh, you know, I would say for the most part, they're going to be more secure. They're going to be cheaper for the organization uh, if they're in the public cloud. And then you make you make the decision based on application need. Maybe you're maybe you're an organization that has a lot of capital in reserve, and you need to spend that capital, right? That could be business decisions why you want to keep it uh, internal. But they're dwindling. That's the thing. So those mm -hmm. cases are dwindling. Last year was the first year that public cloud spend outpaced internal IT infrastructure spend. 2020 was the first year. I would have thought it would have been a couple years ago. That's crazy. Right. So we're now, we've now hit a point and it's not going to come back, right? I mean, it's not like two years from now, all, yeah. ever, all of a sudden. Uh, the, that would give you one other case, Edge. Even though these public cloud providers are starting to provide other services, there are use cases where you need to have a lot of data close to your customers. Sure. And, uh, you know, like a Netflix, right? They have some of their, they used to be all in AWS. They yep. moved away from that model. Now they put cabinets and data centers that are local here because it cuts down the amount of time it takes me to buffer something to, sure. you know, nothing. So Yeah, because yeah, I remember that was one of the first things we pushed to the cloud um, was most of our customers were West Coast based. So we put all our IIS servers on the West, on, on West uh, the West farm. Which and it cut down, you know. Oh, time zone. That's a great yeah. example of one. Like I, I could, there's an example of something that should be in the public cloud because time zones is any developer out there knows how big of a pain the time zones are, right? Sure. So yeah, if I can spin up uh, Active Directory servers in each time zone in the country, which you can do in the public cloud, that's that's a huge benefit. Which is impossible. Yeah, you which you know you can't do that. You can't do it. Right. You're not like on your own. Unless you're buying colo and it's mm -hmm. that's cloud anyway right um right but but then you have to buy like five colo you know exactly you negotiate those kind right yeah equinix or whatever so how's startup life this time around versus last time uh well i don't you know i don't know i don't really compare them i would say i mean starting uh, in quarantine know, can't tell me oh yeah, right. Some people say, oh, well, startup during the pandemic, that's difficult. <laughs> right. I always say, well, well, this was the best time to do it because there were a lot of people that were available to jump in and start working. Right. You know, you get, mm -hmm. we've had we've had eight people working on this full time now for uh, probably seven plus months. And what? We're a startup with what we're able to pay. I'm not so sure two years ago we would have been able to do this for the amount of money we've been able to do it for. And, you know, so, and, and we've got people in Germany, we've got people in Finland, we've got people in Arizona, we've got Ohio. So, you know, this whole, like, think about it. Three years ago, the first thing we would have done was look for an office, right? I mean, right. just, and now it's not even a thought. So I, I looked at it not as a blessing because it was terrible and just a ton of people lost their lives. But, uh, you know, I look back on it when we, this, this go around that, you know, uh, I'm glad I made the decision to do it. Uh, I could have gotten a job, obviously, with my experience anywhere I wanted to. Uh, but I'm glad I did it. And uh, I think that it was a really good time to start a business. Uh, and I was, I'm very fortunate that I had the means to be able to do so. And there were a lot of people that didn't during the pandemic, but I look at it positively. So I'm gonna go with uh, this, and this has been, I've been the most involved in this from a startup perspective. Everything that's gone into it, you know, Nick and I have, uh, you know, been a part of. And so I'm just, I'm having a ton of fun uh it's hard it's not always you know rosy but uh, uh i i'm having a ton of fun i love the people i work with and we're solving real problems for customers on a daily basis and you know that's always fun helping people solve something is always a fun always fun for me oh you save somebody like you know we had two clients where we saved them over six figures annual on their cost and it's like they look right. at you and they want to kiss you on the mouth but they know they can't um 
<laughs> but well, it, well it, we're getting back to the point where where they can. Right, 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 right. Yeah. No, you have to kiss with masks on. Is that what they said? <laughs> they came out with. Yeah. Um, uh, but no, when you when you could do that for someone and you know you made a difference and you just you know that's a when it gets to that point you know that you know you can go to sleep that night and go you know that was you know that's all right you know. Yeah, and we just today got our contract back on one of our largest customers to date. So, you know, we've for, for for when we started and where we're at today, you know, we're doing really, really well. And uh, you know, I'm 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 grateful for every, all of our customers as well as the, all the people that have been working with us for the last twelve months. It's been great. Yeah, yeah. So uh I gotta in closing out, I gotta ask you the, the million dollar question. What is uh what is the cloud? The prep question, right? So, like, it's either it's someone yeah. else's computer in the sky, or it's this, or it's that. Uh, you know, uh, here's what I would say: uh, the the cloud is now what. Um, so, uh, there's there's a good analogy for this. So, a hundred years ago, you know, uh, you know, p- power. You basically had to generate your own power, your own electricity. If you're a manufacturing plant, you had to generate your own electricity to power that plant, right? And now we have this, you know, grid of electricity and a system of interconnected uh, a power that we can go anywhere. Like I charge my car anywhere I go. I have lights everywhere I go. Uh, the cloud is almost the same thing as 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 you know, if you think of our electricity grid, except the one difference is it's it's not a way that we can supply power to cars and lights and things. It's a way to be connected to everyone in the world. And so um, the cloud is a system of interconnected wires that allow me and you and Randy to do a remote podcast. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, like the, the, the cloud is just a way for humans to connect to other humans no matter where they are on Earth. That's all. You know what? It's uh, I like I like my answer a little bit more. I just there is no cloud; it's just someone else's computer. But you know, I like you. you. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but I like I like yours as well. I like yours as well. Um, so hey, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna cut it you is. loose. Yeah, at the end of the day, no, we're gonna we're gonna cut you loose. Oh, you know what I wanted to say when you were talking earlier about um. The early days of the cloud, when I was at Cisco, I used to give all my customers a book called Consumption Economics. This is, you know, this is 2012. This is right when, you know, as a service became the thing when cloud kind of shifted. Everything was, it was a, you know, a, everything was as a service. So just getting people in that mindset. So like literally we'd walk into, you know, Fortune 500s and hand them this book and just, you know, just just take a read when this weekend. And, and it's funny how people would like come out of it. You know, because we'd always ask the financial questions. You know, capex, opex. What do you, you know? We'd have to talk to the CFO. But now it's funny. I, I think everybody's, you know, all that education's like you don't need to anymore. Everybody's kind of, uh, everybody kind of gets it. Took ten years, but everybody kind of gets it now. <laughs> well, it's been more than ten years, but yeah. Well, you know what I mean. <laughs> well, since it's been ubiquitous, though, yeah, it's you know, it is. It's yeah, since it's been ubiquitous, right? Yeah, you're you're right. It took a long time, but people finally get it. And even you know, like my grand my grandfather, who's ninety seven this year, has a Facebook portal. Like a ninety seven year old, I mean, think about how crazy it is. He's lived. He was born in the twenties, and he's living yeah. in the twenties. It's yeah. insane, right? Uh, he has a Facebook portal. I bought my dad a two years. I bought my dad a Google <laughs> Home. And just the fact that he can say like play German radio and like he's and all you have to do is talk to it, you know, he's he's like uh, you know pig and shit with this thing. Yeah. So, so definitely a way for us to be connected to each other, which is no great, doubt, no doubt. But it's also be- it's also it's also got a lot of downsides too, though, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. Spread all of our hate to everyone <laughs> at a more rapid pace. Well, and then now you have a listening device in your home that you paid for, you know, if you want to go really, you know. The um, when we did that episode with uh, Nuri was one of the hosts, and we did the OK Google thing, and he you got to play it back on activity, and I always thought OK Google was the trigger to start recording. 
it wasn't because it was his girlfriend yelling, okay, Google, play Aerosmith or whatever. And that was a recording. So I'm like, wait a minute. That thing's continually running. This isn't, you know, it's, there's no trigger word to start recording. That thing's just on. So it it is the trigger for it to know that you want something. It is not the trigger for it to start listening. Right. That's, right. that's the difference. Yeah, it's just on. So yeah, right. Other than that, it's like I'm just gonna listen and record most of everything right. that I hear. But when right. he says, "Okay, Google," I need to respond to that next thing. It's yeah. again, it's a brilliant. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant mm-hmm. because you want it. It makes life easier, right? Sure. And everyone knows they're recording every every piece of thing that you're talking about. They're, they're recording. If they're I tracking. talk about if I talk about a if I talk about a Ford car right now, guess what's going to pop up on my phone when I get onto Facebook? An the advertisement. New, new electric F one fifty. Yep. Let's test it. Let wow. us know, people let are us know still how long it takes. On Facebook, Facebook, right? People are still posting on Facebook. Oh, how crazy it is! I was talking to my friend about this product, and then I saw an ad for it on Facebook. It's like they're that's shocked. Not crazy. Yeah. <laughs> That's the purpose of of Siri and uh, Google and all those other things. I was wondering why I had so many Jägermeister ads on my Facebook feed. It's crazy. Um, but hey, we're gonna <laughs> we're, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna cut you loose, man. Jason, always a pleasure seeing you. Uh, I'd like to thank Jason Jaeger. You find you at tenacitycloud.com. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I got to warn you though, if you follow him on, on LinkedIn, he writes these three mile long, uh, posts every day. Um, you always have to click the more button. That's Nick there. for the most part, minor, shorter. <laughs> no, not <laughs> minor, shorter. Nick's are longer. <laughs> you still have to but, click, a little uh, you know, people like our posts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just for that. We're going right. to hashtag. Hey, you know what, Bob, Randy, thank you very much. Sorry, thank you very much. Appreciate you guys. No, anytime. Yeah, it's, uh, so, the the we'll title go. of this episode is going to be "Nick's is Longer." Um, <laughs> <you said> it. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not wider though. On that note, we're going to cut you loose. Uh, thanks right. for hanging out. This episode three ninety nine of the IT and the D Show. Jason Yeager, find him on LinkedIn. Find him at tenacitycloud.com. Appreciate the time. Uh, on behalf of me and Randy, do us all a favor. Drink up your drinks. Get your phone numbers. You don't got to go home. You just got to get the hell out of here. See you next week. Drive careful. Beat it. <laughs>